0: This episode brought to you in part by Special Tees Custom Printing. Visit special-tees.com. That's special-tees.com. Gypsy Cab Studios
1: and the Nerd Camp Network present Camp Nightmare,
0: a podcast for happy campers. there will
1: be fun, fiends, and ghosts maybe even a few murders. And of course, you're all
0: invited. (laughs) Hello, campers. Howdy, I'm JB. And I'm Jordan. Welcome back to Camp Nightmare. Oh man, we are continuing our two-week series of the genesis of our horror love. Horror origins. So last week we talked to Jordan uh, about Poltergeist and... I had a lot of fun, yeah, that doing was awesome. that. I had a lot of fun interviewing you because, like, you're you're a steel trap man. You're <laughs> not you're you're an onion and you're a steel trap. You have layers, but but you a don't s- a steel onion. You're a steel onion, un- dude. If would you were that be like an
1: '80s hair metal band, Steel Onion? Steel Onion. Steel
0: onion. I feel like that. <laughs> I feel like it would be your wrestling name, Jordan <laughs> Jordan Jordan the Steel Onion Miller.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I mean, it's fun talking about that guy. It was I like that because you tricked me into it and it was fun. Yeah. I got him to a place where he couldn't leave.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> really what happened. he did,
1: and I, th- I tried to recreate that for JB a little bit. Obviously, I couldn't ask him uh, the same sort of film questions, but we get into some pretty good stuff. Yeah. I think about yeah, JB's yeah. important film, which is
0: Night of the Demons Hey, dude, I just talked to Sean Cochrane today, yeah. and uh, he—I don't know if you saw the interaction on um, Instagram, but he was like, "Bro, this was mine." Too. Night of the Demons? Yeah, he oh. was like, he was like, the fucking lipstick and the titty scene defined what scared me for like a decade, and yeah. I was like, "Yeah, no, I get it." That,
1: you know, I know Sean, and I know Sean's writing, and I am not surprised by that in one yeah. bit at all. Yeah. Yeah, Night of the Demons is, is an interesting one, and it's a special one. It's like an American, for once, it's like an American film ripping off an Italian thing. Yeah. Like, very, usually it's yeah. the opposite, right? Usually it's Italian films taking, like, with Zombie, the Italian filmmakers took what was popular in America, like Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. and they're ripping it off to make what's something for Italian cinema and, and that and, was what known Yeah, as Italian and they, cinema they but they
0: also add like a, a heightened level as as our friend Marissa from Jersey Goals would say an elevated yeah. horror element to their zombie film right like that's sure, what sure. that's what separated zombie from dawn of the dead and made it impossible to see it as a as a sequel to me was that it was just there was an elevated element to it where it was like no I mean, this I think is an art Romero film. stuff is fairly elevated for comparatively yeah, yeah. to other american oh yeah uh, horror for sure but i think there's something about the artistry that and the, pa- the the passion of I italian like cinema yeah definitely and for
1: once this is like going back the other way where american yeah. american filmmakers are seeing something that is like quintessentially Italian films like Dario Argento what he's doing films like Demons specifically yeah um and they're doing the American version well, and, of that
0: and a lot of it has to do with the lighting with the coloring yeah. right like that was kind of what defined Argento is that yeah well it, it's and not Bava because Bava did yeah Demons. and it's not it's not exactly what defined them but there is something about blood in Argento and Bava films yeah that, like it does not look like that in any other film
1: and there's a there's a Of like dream logic to it all, where Argento's not motivated strictly by like physical reality, (laughs) you know, rules of
0: this world. Yeah,
1: yeah, and like you know, demons is a bit more rooted than that. But it's like it's chaotic. It's kind of taking what Americans did with Evil Dead and turning it into something else. But it's interesting to see like the almost. You know, I feel dangerous saying this, but artsy nature of like demons, you know, and it's fun to see Americans be like, let's do that. But like, let's make
0: it like schlocky American but let's style. let's make it more American. Yeah,
1: yeah, more like slutty teens and idiot drunk enough. kids. Yeah,
0: no, it's not enough for Americans that we have to have shitty films. We have to bring other, <laughs> we have to bring other genres of film down to our level. <laughs> we are the Florida of the world. So before any of this, um, before we even get in, get into what's new, there's something that I want to talk about that's very topical that we don't get very serious in the show very often. Our hearts go out to the uh, the victims and the families of Covenant School in Nashville. Oh, uh, yes. There was just a shooting there yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we don't get overtly political on the show very often, but I do have something that I feel compelled to say about it. If your move right now is to feign being appalled or feigned, being shocked in any way by this, just stop. Like, I'm over it. I'm over this thing, this cycle that we go through where a crazy person gets a hold of a weapon that should not be available to the public, goes and shoots up a school. We clutch our pearls for a couple weeks, talk about how it's Due to everything except the fact that these guns exist in the first place. Oh,
1: there's always going to be that term thrown around. There's just nothing we could do, you right? Know, there's and no there's way you absolutely something it. we can
0: do. Our good friend Kirsty Toomer from Australia put it very, very matter of factly to us to us last time we talked to her. Uh, you know how many shoot, how many mass shootings they've had in Australia in the last hundred years? Tell me that. One. One. And after that one mass shooting that happened about 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, they outlawed and banned all guns in Australia. And guess what? There hasn't been a mass shooting since.
1: Weird. Um, it's almost like there's a relationship between gun accessibility and shooting people. Yep. Weird.
0: And uh, so I'm just going to say it. Uh, stop acting like you give a fuck about kids' lives because you don't. Yeah. If you did, this wouldn't be a thing. If you did, you would. We would already have gotten together as a society and outlawed guns. The fact of the simple fact of the matter is, is that um, we are gross uh, as Americans, and we want spectacle, and we want drama, and we want something to clutch our pearls at. We don't want kids to go to school safely because God forbid if we were able to eliminate one of the problems that we have to distract ourselves with. So that's all I'm going to say about it. That said, let's get into some what's new. got some indie
1: film news for you. Uh, a movie that I worked on, uh, a close friend of mine, Michael Tuthill, has written and directed called Wind and Bone, which Ooh. is a Wendigo Monster in the Woods horror movie. So he's got the Indiegogo, the, the go-Go campaign going right now to raise money to finish the movie, which is already shot, and he's just raising money for post-production to, to get a couple extra bells and whistles in there and for us oh, to finish yeah. this movie. Uh, and the exciting thing is he's working on finishing his movie while I'm working on finishing The Only Ones, and I'm helping him finish with Wind and & Bone, and he's doing likewise with me, helping me with a lot of things on The Only Ones. And we're trying to, like, release these at the same time. And, like, maybe do double features uh, when we when we do some screenings and also, like, getting a table at Creature Feature just for our two movies and, like, really kind of, like, promoting them together a lot. So if you guys are looking for an independent project to support, I suggest making it Wind and & Bone. And I will post the link to that Indiegogo uh, in the x file section of our website.
0: Up next in gaming news, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game from Gun Media finally has a release date. And I can't believe we didn't already guess
1: what it was going to be. Of course it's August 18th. Of course it's an August. Re- it's the Texas Chainsaw date. How did yeah. we- with a game this obsessed with uh with with continuity and truth to the series, how did we not see and this it coming? And it looks
0: like we've said this before. It looks fucking incredible. Like Gun Media killed it once again.
1: Uh, I'm I'm so fucking excited about this game. Like this is like I loved the Friday Thirteenth game, um, and uh, I played the yeah. shit out of that game in its heyday. I still play it, but in its heyday, boy oh boy, that was a good time. I, yeah, I, I have it for Switch, and I play it regularly. We caught up a little bit, uh, or at least I I did with the Kyoto brothers at. Creature feature, mm-hmm. and he he told me that the Killer Clowns game that's coming out uh, is very similar to Friday Thirteenth. Is actually, it's not being made by Gun Media, but it is the director of it's the same director. The Friday Thirteenth yeah. game is directing it, so it's
0: not like a platform game, right? Like, no, no,
1: it's it's like Friday Thirteenth. I think okay, it's that's, three okay. v four, so like three clowns versus four humans,
0: right? For some reason, I had in my head that it was like an eight bit platform game. Oh, that would be kind of cool too. I mean, it would be, <laughs> and it would be fitting with with the time period that that movie came out no it
1: seems like they're doing exactly what they did with like the Friday game the Evil Dead game the Texas Chainsaw where they're like painstakingly recreating environments from the movies sure which I think is is, is really sweet. Yeah, and we got to catch up. Also, a creature feature we didn't mention this with our buddy Nick Jackson, who does some amazing paintings. Oh and, yeah, and he brought something new that I hadn't seen him do before. You bought one. I did uh, one of these maps that he made. Oh, the
0: Evil Dead map. Yeah. So he, it's not just Evil Dead. He no, he, he does started a lot of last them. year. He had the Camp Crystal Lake map, mm-hmm. and that was like his sort of flagship piece. And when we say map, what this
1: is is it's a map of the locale yeah. of the film, but specifically they mark on the map exactly with, with where characters die where characters are t- where
0: key pivot yeah. points in the movie happen well so nick's style i guess i would say is that he's he's like he's a poster artist and he definitely has like a graphic design lean to what he does um but i love that he's he's sort of used that to tap into this idea of making like maps and cartography and like this is what yeah uh so i got i bought the map from the first evil dead film mm-hmm. so there's two different maps for evil dead both and cabins. evil dead part yeah. two uh and i bought the one for part one for greg's son orion yeah. oh cool uh, well because that was orion's first horror movie that's great was evil dead yeah. and uh i think Maybe it was something beside, but I, that's the that's the first one I remember. Greg being like, "I showed my kid,"
1: and he, Nick uh, Nick had one of the Scooby Doo, uh, "Where Are yeah, You" season one, and yeah. it's like it takes you throughout the whole town that they live in, and every mystery they solve, and it's and he explained to me, and it's really fascinating how it's like another level of nerdism, right? Because you watch these movies, you enjoy them on one level: story, lighting, character kills, whatever nobody sits there and like maps the fucker out like nobody sits there and they're like okay geographically where is this happening it's a whole nother level of nerdism of getting deep into these films and it's fucking fascinating so uh i don't know if he has a website where you can get this stuff but i want to post some of the pictures of of his maps because they're pretty fascinating
0: excellent uh so up next in remake news i'm really not sure weird weird what How or why this is being done, but Legendary Pictures is producing a remake of Faces of Death. Um, What timeline are we even living in right now? So, here's the thing about Faces of Death. (laughs) There's a thing? Oh, there's one thing? So, in my memory at least, Uh this movie started with my group of friends and I as like, oh, have you seen it? Oh, it's... Yeah, it's this underground snuff film. Like, oh, you gotta watch it, and then it turned out that it was absolutely orchestrated and contrived, and it wasn't to real. To do that, right. um, I mean, there is there are real shots in it in the original, but yeah, like, in the original, I think some of the like animal, the deaths. train, well, no, the train thing where the dude gets his legs cut off. Oh, train, yeah, that's real. Because I um, think what had
1: happened with that film, and we talked about this briefly, is there was a a son. Uh, there was there was a guy who had a production company that did like documentary shit, and his son wanted to start a company. Yeah, and he took some of the excess film that his dad didn't use, or you know, that his dad's company bought but didn't use, and it involved uh, animal killings.
0: Yeah, and so he was like, "I can package this somehow." So I don't understand why they're calling this a remake. I don't because get it this either. seems like this sounds like a scripted, yeah, film. Um, yeah, a film that we already know
1: from the jump is fake. Like it's fictional Where like the whole thing About original Faces of Death Is when it came out It was like banned In every state Because people thought It was like real murder
0: On camera And so the thing is Is that if this is one of those Like meta horror things Like honestly I'm kind of over it Like I don't know what they're doing I don't know that this is a property Like here's If you watch Faces of Death Which I'm not encouraging you To do so (laughs) um, Because I don't Find animal Cruelty Fun in any way No hell no Um give, give you, me some regular you, old humor. You don't cruelty, walk away you know? from it like, wow, this is a great like I I'm <laughs> What so, a cinematic experience. You don't walk away from it like wow, I don't want that hour and a half of my life back. Um, You're, yeah it's an experience you So know? like why would you remake that Besides just like Nostalgia slash shock value And like I have no idea And like I said It's you know We're we're in this weird period Where we're sort of making these We're calling them remakes But they're really like Meta reimaginings of
1: Yeah of properties. properties with and the same title This is
0: not one that I think Needs to be
1: done Well it has to be a reimagining Because the original one Doesn't have characters or stars right and this movie has already announced stars bobby? so this movie has bobby ferrer uh, from euphoria and yeah dante montgomery from stranger things that's billy Oh, um and they're both set to star in this movie so they are playing characters in this movie i don't, I don't know what the fuck this is gonna be maybe this is their whole plan is this how they're gonna get me to watch this movie because i'm so confused that i need answers it just it
0: feels like you know, this sort of thing worked with like the scary stories to tell in the dark movie. Oh yeah, great. Yeah. sort of like a meta reimagining of that. Yeah. This ain't gonna work with faces again. Uh, is this bro. gonna be a
1: movie about like these characters because, find the, the tape of faces again? Because of if of that death? is
0: what this is, they've already made it yeah. a bunch of times and it was called fucking final destination <laughs> yeah, right. right like that's the only way that's the uh, only place i could see them going with this
1: yeah i don't i don't see where they're going with this but maybe that's their plan all yeah along. so uh, we'll, we'll follow up with with legendary and their faces death remake as as things move forward
0: so up next or up last in what's new in weird mandela effect alternate timeline news Blockbuster is reopening in yep. Southern California. They are opening five locations in in L.A. and San are Diego. Are they, though? Because the article that I read about it, literally, I'm going to bring this up. The article that I read literally ends with nothing that was stated in this article is true. What? So, like, yeah. Blockbuster's up to some shit because about two weeks ago, their
1: website, which was just dead for years, came back to life. And somebody found that Blockbuster Videos website. All it said was, "Please be kind while we rewind," and they were hinting towards something. And then these articles come out about, uh, about the the, the openings of the new locations. But maybe Blockbuster's just trolling us. Is that what's happening? Yeah. I I don't know. But I have, I, you know but I have anxiety so, about it, man. I'm so sick of living in a post-facts world. I just want to fucking know what's going
0: on. Yeah. I just want to well, read I mean, an article and be like, that's a that's a thing. Seemingly, yes. They're opening up five new blockbusters in, in, in between L.A. and San Diego. Yeah, but you know what? You know, no
1: gods. Nothing's real. Nothing, so no gods, who the no fuck masters. knows if anything we said today is fucking true or not? I don't know because facts are a thing of the past, and My I'm God. sick of this, this world. Blockbuster
0: is broken, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> you, think you broke him.
1: All right. Fuck this. Up next, uh, we need to talk about Justin Roiland. Update.
0: Update. There's yeah, an yeah. update. So, to be
1: fair, the, the first version of this
0: was in a Patreon episode. So yeah. if you ain't a patron, you didn't hear it. But here's the update. As a short recap, we, we talked about in the Patreon episode about Justin Roiland being um, basically canceled um, yeah. because he's a monster. And literally canceled from his own show. He was fired
1: from r- yeah, Rick Yeah, and he
0: was charged with like domestic battery. He was charged with false imprisonment, uh, which means keeping someone... You know, locked in there in your house. Yeah. All of those charges have now been dropped. All yes. of them, every single one of them. And Justin Roiland and True Classy Nature is definitely going on a tirade about how I told y'all I didn't do this, and like not missing an opportunity to be like, all me. the people that dropped me, like you guys are loyal, blah blah blah. And it's like, well, dude, you were charged with. Having a dungeon. Yeah. uh,
1: So, of course, Justin Roiland has to be a sore winner about it.
0: Right. (laughs) Like, he can't just uh,
1: win gracefully.
0: And the thing is, is that the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. Uh, I don't necessarily know that that means he didn't do it. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. I don't necessarily
1: know that I believe him. Um, and, like, either way, he's not going back to Rick and Morty. I don't think he's going back to any of his properties. I don't think so. I really don't. I think he's tainted at this point for them to bring him back. But also, like... He was apparently just such a nightmare to work with, and yeah. if anything held up the program at the Rick and Morty house,
0: it's almost like they uh, needed a reason to get rid of him.
1: Dude, it's but it's, seriously, it's become very clear since this whole thing that they have like rallied against him. Like the staff of that show, yeah. like rallied to get him fired and do not want him back.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it you know, charges came out that he like kept kept some people hostage <laughs> in his house, and all of a sudden, people that he worked with were like. And he cooks fish in the microwave every day at the office. And that's like, why he hasn't been in for a month. Right. He's been torturing and people like, in so his basement dungeon. You're 100% right, man. Like he, People hated him long before these charges came out. And people were just looking for a reason to hate him. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that's certain
1: coming through all of this is that Justin Royland's a bit of a dick.
0: So really what we need to talk about is, hey, Justin, quit being a dick. Quit
1: being such a dick all quit the time. Quit being a dick, bro. You know, try try not being a dick sometime. Yeah. See what it does for you. So
0: that does it for what's new. Uh, up next in the steaming pile of
1: streaming picks. Up first on HBO Max, a little Batman animated pick for you, Gotham by Gaslight. I take
0: great pride Oof. in
1: that. I turned Jordan onto this. this. I've watched a lot of Batman things in the past week. <laughs> yeah, I have been on are. a ridiculous kick. And not just Batman things, but like animated Batman stuff. Well, yeah, I watched all the live action Batman movies that, that I wanted to, and then, <laughs> then I moved to the animated ones, which I haven't seen many of. Uh, I've seen some of, but like There's this one lot. really stood out. Uh, and what's cool about this one is it's one of those world stories. Yeah, that's like an alternate dimension. What if Batman? And this
0: is this is the one thing that DC has done right versus Marvel. Uh, like I will argue that DC's animated universe is light years better than Marvel, dude. It, it's
1: so good. Like these these movies are great.
0: Like the, all the ones I've seen have been really
1: good. And I think Sam Liu directed this one, uh-huh. and all the ones that he does are very very good. This one is 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 like what if instead of London. Jack the Ripper was happening in, like, a turn-of-the-century Gotham. Right. And or, or what if just... Or Gotham is London.
0: Yeah, exactly. What if just Gotham was a weird, like, turn-of-the-century city? In the first five minutes, there's more
1: blood than I've ever seen in any Batman property in yep. my life. Yep. There's just knife murder.
0: It's literally like a serial killer horror movie Batman. Well, what I was going to say is that I think what DC has done right is that DC has a pretty solid through-line canon for... Their animated stuff, mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of one-offs.
1: Yeah, I love uh, that the one they off. call Elseworlds, and it yeah. started
0: because that's what they did with comics too. Mm-hmm. Is that DC has like a throughline canon for their mainline comics, but then they have Elsewords, Elseworlds stories that you can check out. Like Gotham by Gaslight is one of them. What's so cool about that too is they're able to really play with the
1: dynamics of characters. Yep. So everything you know about them does inform elements of what's going on but yeah. also they can do some very different things and it and surprise you. Yeah. So uh up next on Peacock, M Night's latest jam, Knock at the Cabin.
0: Jordan and I were just discussing this. We ju- we both just watched it. Yeah. Uh I loved it. I really I thought it was it too? brilliant. Um Dave Bautista is really He's an he's 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 maybe the best wrestler turned actor. Not that either of those things should qualify the other, right? right? Like right, I was thinking right. about this after we talked about it outside. That like, there's no reason being why, a wrestler yeah. does not preclude you from being a good actor, or and you know, in being a good actor doesn't mean that you can't also be, like, a jacked-up athlete, right? Right, right, like, right, of course. But, you know, there is oftentimes, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you <laughs> do oftentimes see people who are kind of thrust into this action stardom that are terrible actors, and they're right. really only... As meteorically famous as they are, because they're enormous, right? And uh, but Bautista does a lot, has layers
1: to his uh, his performances, yeah. and like a sensitivity that the other guys don't. Yeah, have, there's and, a like,
0: childlike quality to him where I was I was saying yeah, this outside when that. we were talking that you almost like he moves in such a way that you get the feeling that he recognizes how big he is and is a f- almost afraid to handle anything fragile because he might break it. That's definitely how he acts in this film. Yeah, just the way he uses his voice... Uh, and the dynamic of his voice that like he understands how big he is and how scary he is and he's trying to keep these people calm throughout the film and like and it's he embodies it so fully that like when you stuff him into this
1: tight button up white shirt and these glasses like it doesn't seem silly for one fucking moment Nope. like he, he's really he really does a it great seems job sad yeah it's a, it is like, a sad film and like it. I think a late era M. Night makes sad movies it seems like old was a yeah. very sad film yeah uh well, knock at the cabin's a very sad film yeah
0: it's much more meta though yeah. it's much broader than old old yeah. was such a very specific story mm-hmm. and knock at the cabin is a specific story but it has he- a much broader yes connotations um i would encourage all of you to watch it like i'm not going to tell you what to do but like it's like i think that it's maybe the best film that m night has done since Signs maybe Oh like, wow okay Actually you know what No I'll say Split Oh I like Split Split was great Yeah I really And this is it. you know This has that spirit to it mm. where it's just like this is M. Night like I, I'm at you know I'm firing on all cylinders like the script is great the acting's great the, the cinematography in it. Oh esp- that that was my what I especially took
1: from it the cinematography is amazing. This is an M. Night movie so you need to go watch it before people tell you what happens in this movie. Uh, so up next on Tubi Backcountry. Yeah Backcountry. So the reason I put this one on here is uh, my buddy Michael who I mentioned earlier who made Wind and Bone. He and I were out this weekend and we were location scouting for a movie where about about to shoot together, and we were talking about a subgenre of movies that I didn't realize I appreciated as much as I do, and that's bear movies.
0: <laughs> First, it was Western horror. Now it's now, bear I'm, on, movies. now I'm on to bear movies. <laughs> have you seen Cocaine Bear yet? No, you I haven't seen Cocaine see, you Bear. You need to see. Cocaine oh, I bear. definitely
1: do. But like, bears are terrifying, dude. Yeah, and, ba- and dude. Back, and actually, the the movie that really made me realize that was Backcountry Because if you have not seen this movie, I highly really? recommend it. The Revenant it. didn't. Yeah, The Revenant's good, but have you seen Backcountry? Yeah, I, no, I have not. This movie, I think, gives you the most realistic uh, outcome of what a bear would actually do to a human, okay. and it's fucking horrifying. Mm. Uh, okay. So this movie's a great reminder that uh, the world is full of actual horrific things actual that will bears. tear you to pieces. They're called bears. They're called bears. You know, maybe one day we'll do a bear a bear movie episode. I, Dude, I'm here for that.
0: <laughs> but until then, watch Backcountry. So up last on Shudder, The Company of Wolves. So this is... Pre-Crying Game, pre-Interview of the Vampire, Neil Jordan,
1: right? So this, this is, uh, is uh, the werewolf anthology.
0: It's not an anthology. It's it's so... I can understand why you would think it's an anthology, because it does sort of... It's sort of cut like one, because there's a number of different stories, but it's all the same plot. Mm. It's Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. And uh, Angela Lansbury plays the grandmother, which is fucking incredible. Uh and I mean like this movie's not without its problems sure. but but I really like, I'd never heard of this and it's on Shutter Oh you'd never heard of this? No and I sat down and watched it from front to back in a single st- I fucking loved it. This still has one of the most memorable werewolf
1: transformations. Yeah dude.
0: Well and it's so in the world of werewolf transformation there are a number of different schools, right? right. And one of them is the one where you like rip your skin off yeah. or like literally the wolf comes out of the skin and this movie goes there, like in a real ugly and upsetting way. And it was on the cover. Like this was a movie that yeah. when I
1: was a kid and I was in the in the in the horror aisle, my eye would always land on this movie because it the cover is a mixture of this like fairy tale Red Riding Hood yeah. imagery and a wolf nose coming out of a human mouth. Well, and the thing is, is that's actually a pretty good statement
0: about the movie. Yeah, it is. that it it's. is it's. It's not quite a horror movie. It's like fantasy. It is. It's really high, dark fantasy is what it is. Mm -hmm. Angela Lansbury, it's weird to see Angela Lansbury in a horror vehicle. True. And it's funny because, like, Neil Jordan went on to direct all these, like, really high art, like, auteur films, like The Crying Game and Interview with the Vampire but you can still you can still see a little like proto version of that in this movie especially interview right because it's like yeah. a horror vehicle
1: that isn't horror driven necessarily and i
0: and i mean like tonally and visually like you can yeah, see a definitely. lot maybe not Crying. Crying games a very dark film yeah, like, maybe not visually speaking but, but i would
1: say that in an interview uh, for sure yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so Good i
1: call. definitely encourage you guys to watch it so that's our streaming picks up last before we get into Night of the Demons talk our trailer of the week, George Romero's Resident Evil: A Documentary.
0: So this is our buddy Brandon Salisbury out of uh,
1: out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, we catch up with him every year at Creature Feature, and Great we've dude. been and we've been like watching this movie develop on the sidelines yeah. for quite some time. And he just dropped his teaser as of the day we're recording this morning.
0: Yeah, like last year, not this past Creature Feature in March, but the one in August last August, I feel like Brandon was really shopping the idea around to people, and he was like, we were all like, what the fuck is this? Like, okay, like, I'll, you know, this sounds interesting. Now that I've seen the trailer and, like, actually seen this thing sort of play itself out, like, wow. Yeah. Like, the shots in this trailer are incredible. You were saying this earlier, like, you want to know who shot this. And the whole premise
1: uh, is that George Romero was originally going to make a Resident Evil film. And and this was, like, apparently a passion project for George, and yep. it was one of those uh, mini George Romero ideas that, unfortunately, never came to fruition. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff remaining from what he developed in that movie, and that's what this documentary is all about and what that film would look like. and What would George Romero's Resident Evil be? So check out the teaser for the George Romero's Resident Evil documentary, and we're definitely going to keep up with Brandon and how the film develops. I want to have Brandon on the show to talk a lot more about this kind of stuff, because what they're doing at the Romero Foundation with digging up these old Romero films and what Brandon's doing is very fascinating. So George yeah. Romero is just such a fucking giving filmmaker that the dude can't stop giving his films
0: long after he's dead. Well, the thing that I really dig about Brandon is that when he does get in like the group of us or whatever, he's so quiet yes. and just he's listening to all these different filmmakers talk and you know, horror nerds talk and you can tell that he's like mentally taking notes mm-hmm. that he's like this is what the community is this is like he's got his hand on the pulse of the commu- of the genre community and I dig it. And he's a huge nerd, so he's able to like, yeah, explore in, yeah, a, in the best way possible. And he's exploring this like little corner of a fandom that we all love and and. he's a fucking marine and i appreciate that about him he's a a veteran and like support veterans in the arts man that's all i'm saying you know what he is he's a
1: steel onion he's a steel onion all
0: right guys that's about it for what's new
1: this week uh now we're gonna enter our conversation about jb's formative horror film night of the demons
0: All right, guys. We are back with the second week of the Horror Genesis, where we came from. Yeah. Today we're series. going all the way back to the before
1: time with little tiny JB, and we're we're looking into JB's first horror experience. Yeah. As we've t- said before, his first horror movie was Night of the Demons from yeah. the the year of our Lord nineteen eighty of eight.
0: Yeah. So so a little bit of a of a caveat there. A little bit of a yeah. correction. I don't know that this was my first experience ever watching horror cuz i was very much a latchkey kid i was very much a just plop him in front of a tv yeah, and go about your day there. uh and they, i i'm sure that i probably consumed horror before this but this is the first like clear memory of horror consumption that i have
1: like do you, is it like the first time you remember sitting through an entire film yeah
0: so we start had to finish? so we had so back in the before times and yeah. for all you people that were born after like I don't know, 1985. You won't remember this, but there used to be this thing called a cable box that sat on your TV, and a cable ran into it from the wall, and then out of it into your TV. And um, these primitive cable boxes in the in the 80s were easy to to um, um, game and hack into, and get channels you weren't necessarily legally getting. and And my family uh, didn't necessarily do that. Uh, But my dad, anytime uh, like the free trial for like HBO or Showtime would end, he would just call the cable company and be like, so I just want to cancel all of it. And they would be like, we'll give you a free trial of whatever. And he did that for like a decade. (laughs) Like it was uh, it was pretty awesome. I'm going to cancel. I'm serious this time. But so my parents were not. It's just ironic because later in life they were so incredibly Uh, They sheltered me so hard and were so incredibly involved in what I was consuming. But like when I was a little kid, they would literally just set me in front of the TV with the fucking remote and go about their day. And that was my babysitter. Do you think do you think
1: that was because they were unaware of the things that were on the television? Yeah. Yeah. And then like it took them time to be like, oh, dear Lord, that's on the television? On some level, and I think that it was also they underestimated my ability to find this To find stuff. it, yeah. oh, God. Yeah. That's that, the parents' ultimate downfall is they're like, the kids won't figure this out. Yeah. The kids always figure it out. Well, Every all... generation is like twice as smart as the one from before it. Like the kids who are oh, yeah. growing up now with iPads and they're
0: fucking, before they can walk, Dude. Dude, I you have no idea. They'll figure I, it out. I'm on a lot of like because I'm a new parent. I'm yeah. on a lot of like new parent subreddits. Sure, and there's so many stories that I read about like kids that are less than one year, one year old, figuring out how to open phones and like search shit on it, and that's They're terrifying made to be to me. simple. But you're you're you right. Know? There was definitely a generational gap there. Get on Papa's Amazon account. I think also it's important to point out walking into this that. Uh, as we've talked about ad nauseum on the show, I was raised in a very evangelical, very puritanical, very uh, fundamentalist church environment um, where things like demons and Satan and hell. Uh, and rock and roll were talked about in this weird sort of fantastical way that was meant to scare me, but it just enticed me, right? It was just like, because they were unwilling to- Every time. And I think it's because they were unwilling to talk about the reality of those things. They just only wanted to talk about them in these sort of fantastical, uh, don't do this or else kind of ways. And they never really exposed me to the reality of rock and roll, which is that like after the show's over, Rob Halford from Judas Priest like takes his girdle off, and just, like, cracks a cores, right? <laughs> and, and like, he's not scary. He's not Satan. Yeah, he likes his milk and cookies like everyone else. But so, uh, as a result, I was sort of naturally drawn to anything that was, like, Satan-centric. Anything sure. that was demon-centric. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. ooh, I want to know about it. I was scared like of That's it. how a lot of us got there, yeah. right?
1: You know, because you're just like, oh, I'm just going to go for the opposite. It's the rebellion.
0: Yeah, and it's, and, you know, I, I, I wish that my story was more unique than it is because I feel like a lot. Of, you just said a lot of people were raised in the church and as a result were like demons. You say? Well, I
1: feel like not even. Yes, especially those in the church, but a lot of people, you know, see that and they go for the rebellious thing and then they stumble upon community, right?
0: Yeah, which is what happened with me, right? Later on, but it all, you know, it all started with, with uh, me. I think I watched it on HBO. Like the, and this is one of those. We talked about this with, with our buddy Sean Whalen recently about how nowadays movies are released on streaming like a month after they leave a theater. But back then, movies, you waited like a six months to a year and a half before. The movie that was in the theater made its way to like HBO or home video. Dude, do you this- remember
1: when Disney had the Disney Vault? Yeah. And like and there would be whole entire films that they would be like it's going in the vault you, everybody. This you is remember, your last
0: chance. Do you remember why that started? No. So I- that started actually later than you think. The Disney Vault didn't start until like the mid to late '90s, and the reason that it started was because a lot of properties that Disney's Disney had put out were becoming increasingly problematic as like society progressed, right? So like specifically, Song of the South. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. It's one with Briar Rabbit and Uncle Remus, the ex slave. I don't remember that one at all. Exactly. So that was the first movie put in. That was the first movie put into the Disney Vault because it was. Horribly racist in a lot of ways. I always thought the Disney Vault was just to drive up home no, video sales. No, it was no, it w- that was part of it, but it was specifically to like put movies away and reimagine them and re-edit them to make them less problematic. And then like, when they
1: come out the other vault, they're all made up and they're all like, got like when new Dumbo face on went them.
0: into the vault, it came back out of the vault without the black crows. Mm-hmm. You cannot find a copy of Dumbo with the black crows in it, or not Ex- they're They're in it, on home video, they're in yeah. it, but not. No, even on unless you have the VHS from like 1980, even on home video, they have the Black Crows in it, but they're it's completely edited differently, which this is part of my
1: useless VHS knowledge on the side. uh, There's like the black triangle that says Disney inside black Uh and gold. And I think those are the pre uh, yeah, vault vault vaulty versions, And then whatever, it's like blue or some shit later on. But yeah, and that and some of those things in mint condition have sold for a ridiculous oh, yeah. amounts well, online.
0: There's one movie in particular that's now available on Disney Plus that was never available. Uh, the Black Cauldron. It was Don Bluth's yeah, last yeah, yeah. Disney film, and Don Bluth is a guy that went on to do like All Dogs Go to Heaven and um, uh, Five Old and oh, Fern and and stuff. Yeah. there's a reason all those movies look kind of like Disney movies. But uh, so the Black Cauldron is incredibly dark for a disney film and horribly terrifying for children and it was made it 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 was made and and was supposed to go into theaters and the producers at disney were like this we can't release this in the theaters they released it on the disney channel one time it aired on the disney channel one time in 1985 and got such a terrible backlash that they immediately (laughs) scrapped any sort of home video of it and you could not find it on vhs be like until the early two thousands when they finally re-released it. It was like that scene
1: in Halloween three when the kid like melts and turns into yeah. snakes and Disney's like, ah uh,
0: okay, this is a we, failure. We can't we do can't that. show yeah. this again. Yeah. But so all of this is to say that like I so I I'm pretty sure I found Night of the Demons on HBO like what? Well, okay, i yeah, so bringing that up. this is what is I want to know. What is this? Was you... a this was a rare exception of film that went straight from the theater to HBO like a week later because it oh, was okay. this was not a movie that was meant to like be a big box office smash. This was no. very much uh, just cashing in on the slasher craze of the '80s and what was going to become like the demon craze of the '90s, kind of so, clashing.
1: It, so this movie, I think, it was shot in Detroit, uh-huh. and it did exceedingly well in Detroit. Yeah, and like it it like smash hit in Detroit and they thought it was going to go on and be like one of the top boy. of the nation. Wrong. Yeah, it didn't really do that. But but paint me the picture of you finding Night of the demons for the first time. It's on HBO. Is it just you? Is it a group of friends? Are your parents? Oh, out it's of just
0: town? me. I'm seven years old. It's just me. And OK, it's your literally parents are like, like what asleep? They're, 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 uh, probably. So my mom was a teacher and my dad worked for the Postal Service and they were also lay pastors, uh, which are pastors that have other jobs. Um, so mom was probably teaching, dad was probably asleep because he worked night shift at the time. So this is the middle of the day. The middle of the day. So like dad especially was prone to being like just turn the TV on, plop me in front of it and the be old like, TV babysitter. Don't, don't burn anything down. <laughs> There's some snacks in the fridge. Sure. You know, kudos to him, because in a way, like I developed a sense of emotional independence very early. Some people call that trauma. Mm -hmm. I call it a sense of emotional independence very early. Delivery to Jornan, you know? Yeah. I was was plopped down in front of the TV. I had figured out how to get to HBO uh, (laughs) weeks, maybe even months before. So, of course, that's immediately where I went. Uh, Night of the Demons comes on, and I specifically remember the scene... In The beginning of the film, where they go to like the convenience store, and the one girl like distracts the convenience store owner by bending over and like oh, yeah. almost showing him her vagina. Yeah, the first whole shot of Linnea Quigley is just of her bent over bottom, yeah, and then fucking stooge Hal Havens uh robbing the store blind as a result. And there's there's the whole like Angela, Angela's robbing them. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, Angela's robbing the blind, and then uh, and then there's the whole car ride down the road where stooge is just being the absolute worst human being possible dude
1: i love angela in this movie yeah. first of all angela is awesome and uh i love that she is like the orchestrator of the hijinks because this yeah. is this is definitely like a, a halloween's porkies right yeah. it, in a lot of ways yeah you know halloween slasher meets porkies but like it's always the it's always the boys who are up to no good Doing stuff. It's Angela in this in this movie. So I love that. I love that it's Angela. She's likable. Um,
0: I was gonna get into this when we start talking about it, but there is definitely a low key sort of subliminal message about female empowerment in this movie. As problematic as this movie can be at times, I don't. Do you think it's intentional? Um, maybe not on the part of the directors and the filmmakers, <laughs> maybe, but I think maybe not on the but, part of the people who made the movie, but, but knowing, knowing but who there. Angela Kincaid is and yeah. who Linnea Quigley is yeah. now, mm-hmm. I definitely think there's some intention on their part of I'm going to own this big, bad role. We
1: Let's get a couple creds out of the way for this movie. So we, Kevin
0: Tenney wrote and directed this. Um, he's known for just a string of shitty films like, Arrival 2 which is a sequel to a terrible B film starring Charlie Sheen
1: many witch movies witch board witch board 2 witch witch
0: witch trap. trap so for the first two or three seasons of this show there was a recurring thing where I was trying to figure out this movie where a lady gets stabbed in the chest by a shower head that's become possessed it's witch trap and it's Linnea Quigley that get mm. stabbed in the chest.
1: Okay. Um, she's everywhere in this decade, too.
0: Yeah, and she she's one of those actresses that certain directors tended to just add her to their horror pantheon. Sure. Um, Stuart Gordon was one of those. Uh, Kevin Tenney was one of those. Um, anyway. So the, the, the starring cast of this movie, because there's actually a pre- pretty
1: big cast. We got Amelia Kincaid as Angela, mm-hmm. uh, who apparently, in the audition process, got the job by straight up terrifying the casting agent with her, whatever she did in the audition. Probably just going (laughs) apeshit wild. I just Uh, met her peeling her face back
0: and she's just some sort of other dimensional being. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) Kathy Podwell as Judy, the good girl. Hal Havens as Stooge. Which, yes, He's yeah. the most
0: iconic thing in this film. He he really
1: is. Linnea Quigley, the other most iconic thing of this film, as Suzanne. And has arguably the
0: most iconic moment in this film. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk uh, about it.
1: Alvin Alexis as Roger, the guy whose dad was a priest, and he's terrified, and he tries to escape immediately, Whoa. but can't.
0: The smartest dude in this movie. Also the only person of color in this movie.
1: Very true, because in this movie, this is the peak of that era where it's just like a token black guy yeah, and a this, bunch but... of racial stereotypes but this movie isn't as bad with the racial stereotypes
0: yeah if anything this movie the token black guy is like nah he's smarter than everyone else like yeah. th- that's more realistic than anything i've seen in that era but it does
1: lean hard into the cliche sex hungry idiotic teens thing yeah and then billy gallo or oh, Jallo, i don't it's, know
0: it's, it's 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 Jallo.
1: billy Jallo as sal uh, and if you, if you can't tell who Sal is, just listen for the accent, hey, and then you'll hey, figure it
0: out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- I, let's get this out of the way as well. This movie's not good, right? Like this it's is not of good. It's kind of good. I will tell you that I think that the, the 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 effects and the practical in this movie are fantastic. Yeah, I
1: do like this movie. There's a lot, um, and I. Th- yeah, no, I do like this movie. It's not great, but it's yeah, yeah. It's, I, I mean, understand what you're but saying. You know,
0: it's exactly it doesn't sell itself as anything more than what it is, no. right? So, like that to me, kind of takes the wind out of the sails of people who are like, meh, yeah, but it doesn't meet my expect." Well, what were your expectations? <laughs> like, you walked in expecting like Saving Private Ryan. I think this movie does a good job of letting you know right away too, because if
1: if you don't get excited by the animated opening title sequence with oh, all yeah. the Halloween oh, yeah. imagery of this movie, then this movie's not for you. Yeah. But you know by those opening credits, you're like, oh yeah, th- th- this is for me.
0: Well, and, and one thing that I really... S- so I I watch this movie every like five years or sure. so. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot has changed in the last like 10 years in yeah. terms of our society and things that we deem important and... Uh, Things that we've decided to, like, expose more than others. And uh watching it this time around, man, there's a lot of problematic shit in this movie. <laughs> um And I think the 80s, when this was made, specifically the late 80s, it was sort of the height. Or maybe not even the height. Maybe it was the very end of the Reagan era where, you know, there was things like misogyny and rape culture were really rampant. at their height yeah, at rampant. that time. Um And you it's evident all that is present and it's night evident. of
1: the demons does feel like a late 80s movie because it has it's all the ingredients of a lot of things right it's yeah. it's clearly uh directly influenced by films like demons right the italian demon for film. sure like it's it's almost like a ripoff of that kind it's of movie absolutely you know? derivative of that um but it's also like all the the hit points of uh, the american slasher film right and so, all the hit
0: points of like you said porkies
1: yeah and porkies so like it's playing on like all the popular things that were going on in the 80s so it's, it's understandable why they thought it might have been a massive success but then it kind of wasn't because it was Kind of try, giving the people yeah. what they thought they wanted.
0: It didn't have an, any any sort of substance that would keep a mainstream audience entertained. But it's also all the For elements gen- that make it now enjoyable to watch and a fun yeah. like thing to laugh
1: along For with.
0: For genre nerds, yeah. This is like like Sean William was talking to us the other day about movies that you like. have some friends over, drink some oh, beers, yeah. maybe yes. smoke some weed, and just put this movie. This is one of those movies yes, where you're 100%. like, let's get stoned and watch this as a group.
1: So um, let's see how big of a fan you are. There's two previous titles to this movie it was originally not called night of the demons do you know either of the two no, previous titles no not at
0: all one it was going
1: to be called halloween party was the original one Ooh. and they I were like wait that. that's a horrible title and then demon boogie <laughs> would have been the other one
0: i'm actually kind of mad they didn't go with that
1: demon boogie is pretty good it's uh doesn't I guess it does kind of reflect the movie, actually. They they boogie and there's demons. There are there there's is a dance more sequence.
0: Than, there's more than one dance sequence.
1: You're right. So this demon film. boogie is actually pretty good title. And
0: like I, I wouldn't be so bold as to say it's almost tantamount to like Crispin Glover in Friday the Thirteenth yeah, Final Chapter dance sequence. <laughs> yeah, I also love
1: that this movie like knows it's ripping everything off in the point where like the so the, the plot we're not going to get caught up in telling you guys the plot just know that a group of teenagers uh goes out to party at a A abandoned funeral funeral home home that is
0: called hull house (laughs) i see what you did there they conduct a seance it goes horribly awry they all in turn get possessed by demons exactly like that's that's the that's not even long in the short that's the entire plot of this film and
1: then yeah, demons kill and turn other people into demons and yeah. they kill also. Yeah, so there's some evil
0: dead in this even. So, so yeah, yeah, that's that's basically what happens. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons this movie's important to me, right? Like not the least of which is it's the first conscious memory i have of seeing like really scary shit Mm -hmm. on 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 tv um and interestingly like while i was terrified by it i was also like i think anybody that's in the genre community can relate to this you have that moment where yeah you're terrified but like something's lit inside Mm -hmm. you where Mm -hmm. you're just like i'm never going back like this is this is these are my people and i didn't even know that's what it was at the time and i think that's one of the re- another one of the reasons that I love this movie so much is because it's such a cult film, right? right. Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of those movies that you're like, only horror fans have really seen this. Yeah, movie. and you're like, we're we're a club, yeah. right? And like, as much there as there are
1: certain movies, like even like Poltergeist or like The Shining or whatever, that it's just cultural, everyone's seen yeah. it. Yeah, you know that's not the case with Night of the Demon. Well, and
0: and you know, I credit horror and my love of horror for getting me through a lot of stages of my life. Like, you know, specifically when, you know, I was like a preteen going into teen years and didn't have really any friends and was able to, like, forge relationships with people based around shit like this. And there was a very much a sense of we don't fit in, but we fit in with each other. Uh, And as much as I kind of hate that elitist gatekeeping shit now that I see in the horror community, on some level, I went through that too, right? Like, on some level... Uh, I was that kid at some point that right. was like, no, you don't deserve to be part of my club because you wouldn't let me in yours. Yeah.
1: Cause there's kind of opposing sides of like the horror community is like there because uh, at least from maybe our standpoint, you know, we didn't fit in in other areas. So like, this is where we found our niche. Right. And then to, to see that it's been like adopted into popular culture is like both something to celebrate. And it's like, you know, that was my fringe area. Now it's like, you know, ev- yeah. everyone's into it, but you know, that's what you want, right? You want everyone to appreciate the thing that you saw was great from the beginning.
0: Yeah, and you always want to be the person that turns somebody onto it, right? You you never want to be the person that like came in, or at least when I was younger, I never want to be the person that came in last, in knowing right. I always want to be the dude that was like had seen the latest upsetting thing. <laughs> now at forty one, I'm just like I'm so far behind so many things that I'm just like tell me, tell me what I'm <laughs> like TikTok. I don't get it. <laughs>
1: Just give me the cliff notes.
0: I just by the way I just read today that TikTok apparently is implementing screen time caps for people that are registered as under 18 on TikTok like they can only scroll for a certain amount of time within 24 hours and oh. then it, it locks them out. Um, that's not going to work. Gen Z is smarter than you. they're just not going to log in as 18 year old as under 18. Yeah, like, that's all I that's... appreciate
1: the effort though to try yeah. to minimize. Maybe, yeah, you know what? I'm for it. Fuck it. They're going to be pissed off about it, but it's probably for their own good.
0: Yeah. Well, so another. <laughs> so I am Gen X technically. I just watched the documentary on Gen X and have confirmation that 1981 was the last year of Generation X. Oh wow! So you're, I'm right there at the end. Well, technically, I'm an Xennial, but I am considered Gen X. Okay. So there is a general understanding about Gen X that we just really didn't give a shit about anything. And that's not necessarily true, but there is a lot of that in there. And there's a lot of sort of not laissez faire, but more like just we're tired of seeing so much inauthenticity. We're tired. You know, our parents' generation had all these lofty ideals in the sixties and then immediately sold them out for consumerism and materialism in the eighties. And we saw that. So yeah, we were jaded to some extent. And one of the reasons that I love this movie and this era of movies. And I've talked about this before, is that I think a lot of it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek indictment of the things that our parents were afraid of. Right? Like our parents were so scared of the satanic panic and this movie just like leans into it and it's just like booga booga booga. With, yeah. Like right with yeah. the devil. And like <laughs> there's part of me yeah. that is as a Gen yeah. Xer like really relates to that and really like identifies with that. I- idea of just giving the middle finger to that sense of fear that was so misplaced and just only used to control people and well, like yeah and that
1: speaks to the tone of this movie it's like horror comedy right and yeah. i think like the generation above yours older than yours is going to see the horror and be scared by it more or be... and your generation is going to laugh at it more and like i think that's what how we view it more now is something that yeah. have fun with
0: or at the very least they're just going to see the visuals And not go by that, not go past that and associate that with everything they're reading in the paper (laughs) and hearing from their, uh, you know, their tucked up adult friends Mm -hmm. about how Satan's in the TV and Satan's in the music. And watch out, your kid's Satan. I read in Shirt Tuckers Weekly that... uh, The children are, in fact, the devil's favorite food. Shirt
2: Tuckers Weekly.
0: (laughs) I can't tell you how many videos I was made to watch, um, like uh, pastoral, like, lecture sessions of... Guys like fat dudes wearing shirts that were one size too small and their necks bulging, screaming about all the different hidden meanings and all of the different rock and roll songs and movies. These are real things like like sessioned videos that we were made to watch where, you know, th- this dude would go song by song and artist by artist and expose every single thing that could be interpreted as satanic in their in their music and it was like stuff that i would not have known had i not watched this video (laughs) right so i beat my wife because i listened to the beatles I, i mean it was literally like you know i had no idea that judas priest had hidden messages in their songs or that was even a concept until I watched this video. And same thing with horror movies. I feel like a lot of the the first, you know, most horrifying things that I saw for movies were shown as clips and these videos of yeah. shit that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to watch.
1: And you're like, "What movie was that?" And you jot it down. You're like, "Yeah, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. yeah." Yep. But like, you know, all of that sort of shaped how I looked at horror, and it all started with Night of the Demons, right? Yeah. Like, it all shaped like what I was going to be drawn to horror wise. I remember a girl at lunch, uh, third grade.
1: Uh, say that the people who made horror movies were demons. Oh wow! And it, oh wow! <laughs> that always stuck with me. I'm oh, like, oh wow! Are, they, are these movies? Are there demons making films, <laughs> making movies? This is crazy. If this is true, and I'm like, what? Well, no, this this is ludicrous. slow this heavy is, metal this plays, is crazy. plays in the background. This is crazy talk. <laughs> these people aren't demons. These people are demons, but, but well, they could be.
2: Well, well, I horror?
1: mean, the guy who uh, made. Uh Jeepers, Jeepers, creepers. Creepers. and yeah, you know, like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> just, <laughs> kind just, of a demon. Just <laughs> that's like, a demon. Roman
0: Polanski. You know, uh, he's demonic.
1: Oh. I don't know if he's a demon, but he's demonic.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I mean like stuff like that See, dude. I had tons of adults in my life. Once I really got so I really, really got into horror, or I should at least say like outed myself as a horror person or as a horror buff, around like a ten or eleven, maybe twelve. And there were so many adults in my life at that point. That were like, can I pray for you? Can I pray over you? Your mother told me that you... If you would... can spare a prayer, that's fine. Your mama told me that you're into that lawnmower, man. <laughs> and Let me tell you, the devil's in the lawnmower, man.
1: All right? <laughs> that's they... why I
0: don't cut my grass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why it's a jungle out there. It's ridiculous shit like that, man. It was always church people. Like I remember uh, I got really into reading my horoscope in the Washington Post for a while when yeah. I was in like seventh grade, and it freaked my mom out because it's astrology. So she told one of her church friends. <laughs> and the next week at church... He had a revelation from God that someone in the congregation is looking for answers from astrology. And I'm here to tell you that that's just from the pit of hell. And I don't know who it is, but I know you're listening and it's just straight from the pit. Of... And I'm sitting there in the fucking pew like, Mom, fuck you. <laughs> like, why did you tell that dude that I'm into astrology? Like,
1: I'm here to tell you that the moon is the devil's rock.
0: Well, so there are some iconic things that I want to talk about in... Night of the Demons that uh, are not, like, politically charged, that are not socially charged. They're just fucking weird. Uh, The number one thing in this film that's weird is Linnea Quigley when she first becomes possessed by the the house, Uh essentially. And I love that they make the differentiation in this movie uh, between hauntings and possessions. Because, like... This movie's not highbrow enough for you to think that they would do that. But, like, they point out... That, it's like, very distinct Haunted difference. houses have ghosts that are the remnants of things that used to be alive. Possessed houses have demons which have never existed in physical form and are inherently evil. Yes. So when Linnea Quigley gets... Her character gets possessed... Suzanne, right? Is her, is her character? Suzanne is... Yes. Yeah. So when she gets possessed initially... Uh, she starts taking her makeup, her her lipstick, and just drawing weird designs on herself. And uh-huh. um, there's a whole scene between her and Stooge, uh, or not her and Stooge, her and um, His name, the boyfriend, the good guy boyfriend. Who that's turns not out really to... a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So like, he sees her, and she's like, "What?" asks her what she's doing with her makeup. As soon as he walks away, she takes her lipstick, or she, for no discernible reason, rips her bodice open. Yes, to reveal her wonderful breasts. By the way, Linnea Quigley
1: top notch. Top notch. And if this is a time period too, if Linnea Quigley's in the film, she's a hundred percent getting nude. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, fucking Night of the Living or uh, Return of the Living Dead. 1, Return of the Living Dead, right? Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yep. Uh, she did another film with this guy. Uh anything. She was also like a Playboy playmate yeah, uh, and of the year. fucking I
0: think. good for her,
1: man. Oh yeah. I mean she's gorgeous. Linnea Quigley's awesome. She's likable. And uh, and she was always in these fucking movies. And the funny thing about that scene is when she you're talking about then she rips her shirt open and then inserts the, uh, the, lipstick, the lipstick into, into her, her nipple into her nipple. So obviously uh, they had to build a fake prosthetic set of breasts. Yeah. So she's wearing uh, she's wearing fake breasts on top of her breasts and she inserts it in the fake one. Uh, she fell in love with that makeup artist and ended up marrying him. I've, that that I, was her husband.
0: I feel like there are not many options to how that relationship plays out. Yeah, it's and an like, intimate that's one. best case scenario.
1: Intimate one. Um, and also, this is interestingly not the first time Linnea quickly had to wear fake private parts in a movie. Because in Return of the Living Dead, uh, she, she rips off her top. She gets on the gravestone. She's dancing away. Then she rips off her bottom. Uh, and the first time they shot it, it was just all natural. Oh. And uh, and the producer's like, you can't show Bush like that. This is insane. <laughs> and and they were like, well, okay. What do you think this is, the 70s? And they're like, okay, you get her to shave that off. So she goes to the, the trailer, shaves it off. She does it again. Oh, you shaved. can't show labia. And then they see it, and they're like, dear God, it's worse now. Someone get a merkin'. So then they literally got uh makeup to build her a fake
0: prosthetic yeah, it's a
1: like a like a like she's like a Barbie doll Let's, down there. And she wears fake breasts in this one, so you know what? She's experienced. Just
0: Linnea Quigley's body was too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, for, really too much for a for Hollywood audiences at the time. And uh when when asked about if it was ever awkward to do these scenes uh, her and the directors always agreed it was not and that Linnea Quigley had been doing nude modeling and nude scenes before any of these people ever worked together. And she was just so casual and yes. so comfortable with that that it was like, try to keep her clothes on. Well, and that's you know? c- that's
0: kind of what I meant earlier when I said that maybe not on the part of the filmmakers, but on yeah. the part of uh, Amelia Kincaid and Linnea Quigley, there was Linnea, definitely, yeah. I think, an intentional uh, uh, push towards... Women's lib and towards towards female empowerment towards feminism.
1: Yeah, especially yeah, you're right. Those two characters because those two characters are best friends in the movie. Yeah, and they're the ones who cook up the whole scheme about the whole party, yeah. and like they're the ones who are like more overtly sexually aggressive than anybody else than the boys, uh, which is obviously not something typical of the films of the time.
0: Yeah, and like off break. They come out of the gate as characters in that film like no nonsense. You're not gonna, no. you're not gonna fuck with us just because we're chicks.
1: In fact, they're using their sex as a weapon yeah. to get what they want. Like in the very first scene, we have Linnea Quigley showing her butt off so that Angela can steal a literal Santa Claus sized sack full of goodies. <laughs> Which is from absurd
0: the... that she has a sack.
1: <laughs> She's like, this is my shoplifting sack. <laughs> Like literally, and like, she fills this thing like, to the brim, and the and the two guys behind the counters are are so fucking awestruck by that butt that they can't possibly be. They're just so distracted. And she well, gets like, away with it.
0: Having worked third shift at a Seven Eleven, like yeah. if someone walks into my Seven Eleven with a Santa Claus sack, I'm gonna be like, <laughs> "So you're here to rob me then?" Like, take what you want. There's no other reason you're going to have that. Just take what you want. Try to
1: shoot me in at least the legs or the arm, please. Or
0: just take what you want and don't shoot me. Now we all know you're going to end up shooting me. Just get me below the knee, please. Not the face. That's how <laughs> I make my money. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the lipstick titty scene. Uh, yeah. I kind of want to talk about the character of Stooge. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. I met Hal Havens at Creature, Fe- Creature Feature last year. Oh, he was there last year? He was there last year. He was just oh walking my around the goodness. whole fucking time, dude. Miss, he is such so a, ti- not timid, but he's such a sweet and meek dude in real life. And then just to juxtapose that to that character of Stooge that's just like... Snorting and people again faces. Remember, I remember when I was talk- I talked about how this movie is sort of just an indictment of America at yeah. the time. He is absolutely a caricature of just like that toxic masculine, like, gross, farty, burpy guy that like no one likes. I and mean, just, this, this movie kind of hits all the archetypes,
1: right? We got yeah. the, the fat guy who's like overly obnoxious. We got the blonde girl who takes her clothes off. We got the weird yacht club douchebag. We, we got, got all- the other blonde girl that does not take her clothes off.
0: Yeah, we got the virgin. And is going to live mm-hmm. as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, again, all of that, I think, is part of that sort of indictment of <coughs> American culture and what people are afraid of. Right. But it it wouldn't
1: have been more of an indictment. I I obviously could you you agree that it's not on purpose. But yeah. But if it was on purpose you know you could have had Angela be the be the hero of this story and be the last one. The fact that Angela and Suzanne orchestrate the party but then are also like victims like some of the first victims of yeah. it, you know, and become antagonists. And it, you know, there's the there's the kind of undoes their own setup. So
0: I really feel like the Breakfast Club in its in a weird way, the movie The Breakfast Club, yeah. sort of set up the archetype for it, totally. a group of teenagers the in job. any film, right? So like Night of the, the Demons outcast. is really sort of like garbage pill kids if they if the Breakfast Club if they were the garbage pill kids. <laughs> right? Sure. Like yeah. um in some <laughs> weird way Stooge is basically Bender. Mm-hmm. From Breakfast Club, right? But he's like not likable in any way. And Angela is basically Ally Sheedy from from yeah, Breakfast Club, the right. Chick that like yes d- d- shakes her dandruff all over the photo uh, picture that she drew. Um, so in that way, I think maybe there was a little of intention in terms of how they maybe, were writing those so. characters. Maybe so. I don't know. All right, so I have got some more questions for
1: you okay. regarding this okay. this movie. I'm ready. Uh, so. You found it, you didn't find it funny when you were a kid, or did you find it purely terrifying?
0: Um, I don't think that I had developed the understanding of humor or comedy yet to yeah. really find it funny. It was at like first. more like the imagery was just shocking. The imagery was shocking. Yeah. You know, it was sort of the answer to all the questions I had in my mind about Satan and demons and like what's. You know, what's what does that look like if it plays out in real life? So this was HBO, too, so it's not edited, right? This right, is not exactly. Secured. This is okay. this pay-for-it cable.
1: Good. So you, you get all the Linne- Linnea Quigley scenes. Oh, yeah. You get all that. Yeah. Okay, all right. It was the
0: origin of the term scare-roused for me, because it yeah. was like, oh, titties, but she's shoving something into it. And that's wrong. But there's titties, and that's good. Why am I aroused and
1: afraid? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, my next question, maybe you just answered it, was what images from the movie stood out to you most?
0: Definitely that. Definitely. Um, this is weird. Definitely the scene in the beginning with Linnea Quigley and Amelia Kincaid, where Linnea Quigley's bending over and, mm-hmm. and Amelia Kincaid is stealing everything. Yeah. That got burned in my mind somehow. The butt. Um, the butt was yeah. surrounded by the giant flower that is her dress. We talked about another Kevin Tenney film called Witch Trap. Yeah. Uh, that I saw, th- if not in the same day, maybe in the same week mm-hmm. that I saw this. So that scene from Witch Trap, where the chick gets stabbed in the chest with the shower uh, head, also st- like burned itself in my mind mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, and I always sort of equate that to this film, but... um Stooge with the pig nose. Right? Like yeah, that yeah. that is the archetype of just a douchebag in a film stuck <laughs> yeah, out just to a me. Total heel. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh the 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 boyfriend that starts out see like, you know, seemingly he's Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver. He's right. just the nicest guy ever. He's he's the perfect Reaganite teenager yeah who at the drop of a hat will cheat on his girlfriend absolutely uh, uh, after trying to date rape his girlfriend yeah exactly (laughs) yeah which he has one of the best deaths in the movie absolutely he gets his eyeballs popped out oh and it's fucking again like the practical in this film is one of the things that makes it for me that's something that sticks out to me is that this is one of the first things that i saw that had real violence in it like not not action violence like Indiana Jones. Like Indiana Jones has some really shocking violence in it, but mm. it was all action oriented. Mm-hmm. And it was all very much the good people hurt the bad people. Yeah. Up until everyone's face melts off. That but is. even then it's the bad people whose faces are melting sure, off. Sure. Yeah. Right. So there's a clear sense of like morality being mm-hmm. um, honored mm-hmm. there. But in this, this is the first time that there's no morality to this. Right. But there is. Right. Because that dude deserves to die that way. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's hard to process it because the bad thing is the thing doing it. And maybe it's the first time that I pro I was faced with the idea that like bad things can also accomplish moral goals, <laughs> right. right? Like this horrible demon is killing the guy that absolutely deserves to be killed. Uh, but it didn't compute because it was like, no demons can't uh, yeah. do it, good. It's like the the cognitive
1: dissonance of like seeing someone die, which is bad but it's someone you didn't like so it kind of feels good. Yeah. And like your yeah. brain was fighting itself about
0: that. Yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about the other day when I was like, you know, do you ever do you ever like when I asked Karen if she <laughs> ever like put herself to sleep by like daydreaming or by like, by like imagining uh people that have done her wrong just like suffering terribly. Like there's a cognitive dissonance there where it's like it's good that this person is suffering but like it's bad that
1: especially for like a young kid you know, growing up around that, like if you felt bad to find enjoyment in seeing something like that. Maybe. Yeah.
0: And then, and you know, then to add to that, you you're told that, like, oh, man, if you find yourself interested and and um, <laughs> stimulated by these things, something's wrong with you. You're like, maybe I'm a demon. Or maybe I'm crazy, or maybe mm. there's something wrong. You know, what I mean, like specifically in growing up in the church, you know, if you do anything outside of what you know, canonized church stuff, De- something wrong with you. behavior. Yeah, and like it's so insidious because it's less, oh, you're possessed by the devil, and more like, well, you clearly need help. You know what I mean? And like, th- From someone, not me, but there, someone, there's something wrong with you. You need right? a
1: professional. Like, so, what scared you most about the movie? I guess you've sort of answered this too. The and tell me if I'm wrong, this, what scared you was less the imagery and more like the, oh, this is the shit that my preacher and my parents have been talking about.
0: I this, think, is like,
1: this could happen to me.
0: I, I, yeah, yes and no. I think mm. the imagery definitely scared me because there's some scary shit in there for a seven-year-old, mm. right? Uh, but I think that what you just said is true, that that fear was definitely fed by the fact that I knew this was super taboo. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew that there was a chance that I might be, get possessed watching this. Yeah. Was there a big worry that your parents would find out you saw this? No. None no, I care? never... So, n- no, because I was smarter than them. And, like, I <laughs> knew even back then that I was getting... And maybe that was what appealed about it to me. So yeah. It's on some levels... You had I one kn- up on them. I knew way. I was getting away with something. You understood the technology better than them, so you had yeah. the one up. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, unfortunately, I was also very hyperactive, so I would, like, oftentimes accidentally admit to having watched stuff like this in front of my parents and then get in trouble. Like, where'd you see that? Uh,
1: Timmy's house?
0: Right. Well, kiss Timmy goodbye. I oh, know there's a famous story in my family that I, I watched the movie Kids before any of my cousins remember oh, the Larry yeah. Clark oh, film yeah, Kids. Yeah. Um which was yet, you know, it's in, in its own way it was very similar to Night of the Demons because it was one of those movies that absolutely indicted what was or absolutely portrayed what was really happening. Yeah. In Teenagers' Lives, but it was still, like, a worst-case scenario version, right? Yeah, like, totally. not everybody was going to house parties and getting AIDS. Like, that, was, <laughs> that wasn't that a regular occurrence, but... That was the thing to so, do, you know, back then. So, I turned my cousins Josh and Ben onto that film, because I had seen it, and didn't really, and, like, didn't think... Oh, let me guess, they ratted on their parents that you, you showed them the so movie. So they got, well, no, dude, they were fucking idiots, and they got their mom... My cousin my cousin Sherry, it's their kids, it's her kids, and Sherry's actually one of my favorite cousins now, she and I are very close, um, but they got Sherry to rent it for them at Blockbuster based on the fact that I told them it was okay. They were like, no, JB said this is cool His mom let him watch it, so you gotta let us watch yeah,
1: it Yeah, it. it's called kids, how could it possibly be bad? Right, so Look of at course, the lettering <laughs> So you guys already know
0: how this ends Like, I got in so much I was like 15 and got in so much fucking trouble over That's this That's a paddling right Oh, there. dude, it really, dude, Sherry was pissed <laughs> Pissed uh, But anyway What so kind y- of household do you think this so, is? So to answer your question, like, no, I was never afraid that my parents were gonna find out mm-hmm. Um, I maybe because I sort of knew that they would inevitably. Yeah. Right. And it was You're just like, like I'm going to fucking let this slip. somewhere. Well, and even at seven, I was in my mind somewhere. I was like, you know, worst case scenario, th- they don't really have any power here. Right. Sure. Like, right. I'm going to find a way to watch whatever the fuck I want. Like, you don't understand one way or HBO another.
1: mom and dad. So
0: or even if you do, I understand it better than you. Like, you could put a lock code on there. I'll figure it out. Your parents are like, I understand you've been running some sort of home box office here yeah, but while we're out of town. But I also want to point out and that I don't really consider it rebellion, quote unquote. Like a sure. lot of people I've said that too. are like, oh, you were rebellious. I don't think I was. I think I was very open and honest with my parents about mm-hmm. all of the shit that I did. Like the same thing happened when I started smoking weed for about a year. And I started smoking weed really early, like 12 years old or so. So for about a year... They really did try everything to get me to stop smoking weed. <laughs> like everything. Like they tried to punish me in every way feasible and none of it worked. And so after about a year, or maybe a year and a half, maybe two years at the most, they just sort of like gave up. And like uh, this kid ain't stopping. Well, and it became a thing where it was like how horrible. I remember house having a discussion like with my dad when I was like fifteen or so about weed. And he basically, without saying it, was like, you know, as long as I don't see this affecting your schoolwork or like your You know general day to day life Like I guess I don't really care and and I took That as like okay man that means I need To be responsible about this same Kind of deal with horror moving forward mm-hmm. right Where it was like I'm gonna watch whatever the fuck I want to watch And yeah. like I'll agree We'll have an unspoken agreement that I won't Tell you about the horror that I watch and you Don't ask me questions fair enough
1: yeah All right so uh, I got one Final question for you with yeah, the, yeah. the follow Up question okay included a B question. So the first one, uh, since this was your 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 first introduction to horror, the first thing you remember, would this be something that you would share with Charlie at some point? Ooh, yeah Would you would you show Charlie Night of the Demons? hundred yeah. percent. Not
0: I don't know when. And okay. Karen and I have this. That question. is my follow up okay. question. What is old enough Ooh, so for Night of the Demons? Th- for Night of the Demons. I right, that's a really good question. Um so there are el- different elements to that answer. Uh Karen and I talk about this a lot. Because, yeah. like, I'm going to turn my daughter onto horror at some point. Yeah, it's, it's clearly. Whether coming. or not she wants me to, it's coming. It's like, coming. It's going to. And I think that she knows that. Yeah. And I think that she laments that day not so much because she doesn't want Charlie to be traumatized, more because she just doesn't like horror. And that's just like, there's a. She's oh. like, I'm going to be on the losing team. Yeah, there's a <laughs> wall there that's like, Charlie and I are going to have horror movie the nights. Two one. Then. She's either going to have to learn to love horror or, like, learn to love Girls Night. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but, so we talk a lot about, like, what's an appropriate age. And, you know, Greg is my best friend. Greg is my little brother. Like, he is, uh, uh, it has been for, for 20 years. And, obviously, he has a 10-year-old, or an 11-year-old now, Orion, who, Greg turned Orion on horror very early. Mm-hmm. Like, four or five years old was showing Orion, like, evil dead and shit. <laughs> um, maybe not that early. I could be misquoting him. It may have been more like six or seven, but, like, still. Uh, yeah, still. I don't think I'm going to follow that model. I don't think that I really want Charlie being exposed to stuff that's that hard that early. Um, I th- I think a better now, a follow up question there
1: is it all the the major boobage and the sex and the, all that I, nonsense and that's what I'm saying is or is it like the weird stuff and the eye gouging?
0: It's sort of an equation, right? That yeah. like I'm more I'm more likely to want to shield her from like. Overtly sexual mm-hmm. things, um, and the second tier would be overtly violent things. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I would even qualify that deeper and say needlessly violent things. Right? Like, right. what I don't want is for Charlie to be exposed to things like Call of Duty, or or not even or like militantly not violent. even needlessly violent things. Um, consequence-free violence. Sure, I yeah. don't want her exposed to that. I don't want her exposed to wanton violence that just happens. To entertain you and desensitize you, and there's no consequences for it. Like that's my real problem with all of those like military-related shooters mm-hmm. games is that none of them have consequences, right? Like mm-hmm. you're just dropped in an insurgent area, and your goal is to murder everything in sight, <laughs> and you don't pay. You know, you don't you don't see the PTSD that the soldier goes through after that. You don't see like right. They never put that game out, right? and I don't call want, of duty and, and so PTSD. That's, that's what I'd be more likely to shield her from that and yeah. like overt sexuality with no point in it that's just there to desensitize you um I really don't want her exposed to that yeah um in terms of like just scary stuff right like there are things that I plan on showing her in, like, segments. Like, n- uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is going to be real early. Yeah, that's a Hocus good one. Hocus Pocus is going to be yeah, real early. definitely good um, Probably Monster Squad would be the next logical step from there. That's a
1: great one. Monster House is a good one, Monster too. Monster
0: House is... There's a lot of animated properties that I'm not super familiar with, like yeah. Coraline, Monster House, that I'm sure... Both of those I recommend. For sure. And, like, Coraline I've seen a couple times, and that may even be that's a... a little later, because that movie's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'd probably say like around eleven or twelve is when I'll start letting her dip her toe into some of the harder stuff, like Night of the Demons. And even then, I'll probably start with stuff that's more farcical, like, like Nightmare on Elm Street, that right, yeah, has give an or, element of Friday car- the Thirteenth or something like that. Yeah, something that has an element of like cartoonish nature yeah, to it. Yeah. Um. There's one that we like, Evil Dead. I think is a good transitional horror property because it is scary. And it is super violent, but there's such a, a slapstick and comical, almost like clown-like aspect to it yeah. that you can. It sort of blunts that blow a little
1: bit. Yeah, you know, I would have trouble saying if I think that's more violent or Night of the Demons is more violent because I feel like Night of the Demons yeah. is very cartoonish. Well, as I well. think they're
0: kind of. So I, I really do believe that like Night of the Demons, Evil Dead, uh, Return of the Living Dead. I think those are all kind of on the same level yeah. of, of. Uh, intermixing like some pretty hyper violence, but kind of blunting it with some really goofy yeah, comedy like, for sure. Uh, and and I feel like ten or eleven, maybe twelve, is the age to start introducing that. But again, every kid is different, dude. Like if I show Charlie Nightmare Before Christmas when she's like old enough to consciously perceive it, and it really fucks with her, mm-hmm. I'm maybe gonna pump the brakes a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Sure, or, you know, if I show her Beetlejuice. And and it's too it, much. Yeah, and it's yeah you'll know much. to back off. Yeah. And maybe Charlie's not super into horror. Yeah. You know knows? what I mean? Like I would, it would break my heart, but like it might be that she's like Karen and is just like doesn't doesn't like that. Um her first words were Gilmore girls. Yeah. <laughs> I also love Gilmore girls, like on a real deep level.
1: So well, like that would be, be good f- for you too. Yeah, then. exactly. So that's
0: my plan B. Okay. Is cool. Gilmore girls. Cool. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, that that's all the questions I had. Sweet. Anything else you wanted to share about Night of the Demons?
0: I mean, just that I'm grateful for that whole era of film, yeah. right? Like, yeah. we kind of look back on it whimsically, like it was so bad now. And But if you really look at it at the time, it may not have been the top tier of horror that was coming out at the time, but the top tier of horror was, like, shocker. Or, you know, like, some of the goofier Wes Craven shit that was coming out in the late 80s, early 90s. You know what I mean? Like, the top tier wasn't that much better. This is definitely a fun watch. This is, like, a yeah. feel-good kind of horror movie.
1: Again, like, it comes back to those opening credits, dude. The moment yeah. that that music, that, like, weird, like, Super Nintendo horror music comes on. Yeah. And, like, those animated Halloween jack-o'-lantern imagery come up. I just feel good inside.
0: Yeah, it's similar to the opening credits of, of uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah, or just,
1: even like Reanimator.
0: Yeah, yes, exactly. Like, Reanimator is actually a great example of something that goes just too far with what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, all
1: Stuart Gordon yeah,
0: goes. Yeah, we've said too this before far. that that's yeah. his whole stick is that he's just going to go too far. He's going to go too far. Well, because Reanimator ostensibly is the same kind of like slapstick horror comedy as Evil Dead. There's just. There's no irony in Reanimator, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, when people are slipping yeah. on, like, severed body parts, like, Jeffrey Combs does not, he's not. He ain't clowning. He's, he's not d- playing yet, for clowning. He doesn't play yeah. Herbert West clownish enough no. for you to, like, laugh at it. You're just like, oh, that's horrifying. He just, like, severed that dude's head and slipped No, yeah, he, they play it hardcore straight. Like, they
1: play it theater straight. It's yeah. straight. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, dude, this has been awesome. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope you feel like you've gotten to know us a little bit better. Uh, you know I love the sound of my own voice, so I love answering questions. Uh, when you're done here, man, slip on over to campnightmare.com. Uh, you can check out all the stuff that we talk about, uh, like our trailer of the week. All of that's going to be under the X-Files, which is under the extra section. Uh, it's basically all the visual aids that that go with the shit we talk about that you can't see. Uh, you can also uh, jump over to the store, pick up any, uh, any of our our Nothing is real. Line of merch. Any of our don't tell me what to do. Line of line of merch. Uh, if you're feeling super generous and you want to like become a deeper part of the fam, you can go to patreon.com slash Camp Nightmare. Sign up for any number of tiers there. For You can have access to all of our secret episodes and our watch-alongs. The only way you can be a part of our Discord group is by being a patron. Uh, and that's getting pretty cool. We have quarterly Discord like video meetups where we all just sort of hang out. We have a bunch of different channels on there where we're going to periodically hop in and answer questions that you guys might have. Yeah, and while we're not there, our good friend Rob is moderating
1: the Discord. Yeah. So, yeah, if you join up for the Patreon, you'll be part of our Discord. Discord community and uh, you'll also get cool stuff like discounts on merch and you'll be the only ones able to get pre-orders
0: on merch yeah so
1: that's all at our patreon so we want
0: to take a moment also to thank our sponsor special Tees. anything any kind of merch you needed printed special Tees can do it it's special dash uh so that's it for this week guys so yeah uh for now i'm jb and nothing is real and i'm jordan please don't tell us what to do Thanks for listening to Camp Nightmare. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Slasher. And for full Campfire Tales, interviews, X-Files, and more, visit CampNightmare.com.
1: And join our Patreon community of happy campers for monthly secret episodes, exclusive merch deals, B-movie watch-alongs, access to our Discord channel, and more. Visit Patreon.com slash CampNightmare.